Brand Safety Exchange is a podcast focused on the principles and practices of user and brand safety and is produced by Oasis Consortium, an industry think tank advancing ethical standards across three core pillars, safe online communities, data privacy, and diversity and inclusion. My name is Erica DeLorenzo. I'm the Managing Director of Oasis Consortium, and I'm delighted to be your host for this season of the Brand Safety Exchange. I'll be speaking with executives from across the media ecosystem, from technology solution providers that help teams scale and improve their trust and safety operations, to industry leaders working on collaborative efforts that support platforms, publishers, and brands of all sizes to accomplish safety, inclusion, and privacy by design. Our guests have a lot to say about their personal journeys into trust and safety, how they navigate a rapidly changing technological, behavioral, and regulatory environment, and the advice they have for their peers and colleagues. We hope you enjoy this episode. And for more information on how you can help build ethical and positive online experiences for both people and brands, download the Oasis User Safety Standards on our website at www.oasisconsortium.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brand Safety Exchange. On today's episode, we are going to take a closer look at one of the OASIS user safety standards principles, which is called people. Seems kind of obvious. I mean, so far, the machines haven't taken over despite recent reports. And so people um, are who we have to design for. It's who we're working with and it's who we're working for ultimately. For the OASIS user safety standards, that means developing policies with values of representation, learning, and wellness in mind. Here with us today is someone who is doing a ton of work to grow and diversify the responsible tech community. And these are people who care deeply about the impact of technology. Rebecca Tweed is the program director for All Tech is Human, a nonprofit organization that creates pathways and develops opportunities for individuals from various cultural academic, and professional backgrounds to get involved in the field. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Erica. Happy to be here. Yes, been so excited to, to speak with you sort of leading up to this and um, in sharing what both of our organizations are focused on and our missions. And so really happy to have you here today uh, to talk a little bit about some of the important work that you're doing. And um, I usually like to start out by asking people to share with our audience uh, your personal journey, sort of what what brought you to this place in your career, and um, you know some of the things you you might have been doing previously. Yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, I've been working in the field of responsible technology, um, specifically studying the emerging career pathways. Um, so the talent, industry hiring trends um, since September of 2020. But I've been concerned about the societal implications of new technologies for a long time before that. Um, so I used to feel a little odd telling my own story because my pathway is fairly out of left field uh, until I realized basically everyone in responsible tech has had a non-traditional pathway into the field as well. So um, I think probably any emerging profession shares that characteristic because there aren't really common degree programs yet for this or typical career trajectories into the field of responsible tech. So um, for myself, my own background, my introduction to responsible technology was by way of the music industry. 
Um, so I was a music publicist for about a decade and I got into music writing and I started writing music tech features. Um, my interest was particularly peaked when Grimes, uh, in her pre-Elon Musk days, went on a neuroscience podcast and said, you know, live music is going to be obsolete soon because of AI uh, and predicting we might be seeing the last generation of human artists. And I thought, you know, is AI coming for musicians? And this was back in 2019. Um, and so the implications for the labor force started me down the path of considering tech's impact on society. And that's when I started recognizing the ways that AI was really already impacting society. And, uh, you know, there was a whole field of study around ethical AI already. Um, so I was studying these startups that were coming through music tech incubators. So Techstars Music, um, Abbey Road Red in the UK. I was really looking for AI songwriting tools that could potentially replace human musicians. And that's when I first started coming across kind of a different category of potential harm that I had not yet considered. So um, was seeing facial recognition technology and started considering what those privacy issues could be. And I, I would come across like just a, a VIP app that uses facial recognition to let you skip a line, to enter a show or to authorize you to get backstage. Um, but those types of applications within the music industry put the technology on my radar more broadly. And that increased my awareness of how these technologies were already being used across society um, in airports and baseball stadiums and um, venues like Madison Square Garden. And then once I started digging into it, I realized how this had been happening for years with no significant oversight. Um, so for instance, Taylor Swift, I was surprised to find out way back in 2018 for her reputation tour, her team hired a security company to set up a kiosk that played her concert and rehearsal footage. And they covertly installed the kiosk with cameras with facial recognition technology for the purpose of trying to lure in any of Taylor Swift's hundreds of known stalkers um, who could then be identified and apprehended. And it was that type of instance that had me asking these ethical questions like, is it okay to capture the biometric data of thousands of people without their consent or even their knowledge? Um, and is it relevant that it's for the safety of a single person? How much of our privacy are we willing to trade for safety and security? Uh, and most importantly, the pace of technological progress just moves so quickly. Do we as a society even have a chance to have these conversations and to have a say in the technology that's affecting our daily lives already? Um, so it was actually privacy issues that sparked my interest in responsible tech more broadly. And then I started realizing the impacts of tech on society more uh, just across the board. So I was digging into other issues, starting with surveillance tech and civil rights. Um, that was around the time of the George Floyd protests um, and, and seeing how surveillance tech was being used in those instances. Uh, but then it wasn't long before issues like bias and fairness um, came up specifically with automated decision-making tools. Um, and that led me to look at things like accessible design and then also looking into things like online safety and everything that comes with that. Um, so from cyberbullying and online harassment to you know things that we're now seeing could be serious mental health consequences for teenagers, especially girls, uh, to impacts on democracy across the globe. So you know, disinformation campaigns by hostile foreign governments, um, 
the algorithmic amplification of extremist content, in some cases even leading to genocide. So, you know, it's undeniable that online harms affect real people's actual offline lives. And once I started recognizing these issues and my interest grew, the first thing I did was I, I joined IEEE's Global Initiative on the Ethics of Autonomous and Intelligent Systems. So I joined as a member of the Arts Committee. Um, so we were primarily exploring the ethics of AI's usage in the arts. Um, and a couple of years ago, we were discussing intellectual property and copyright issues and how what we now uh, call generative AI would eventually disrupt the music industry and the arts more broadly. So you know, back then I was writing about these relatively rudimentary songwriting tools. Um, and of course that topic has only gotten more fascinating over time. Um, and from there I began volunteering for other organizations. And that's when I found All Tech is Human. Um, and I created the Responsible Tech Job Board in uh, September of 2020, really just to explore the development of responsible tech as a profession, um, as I was considering all these different implications um, of technology on society and trying to figure out you know, I'm seeing these career pathways emerge, but what even is available and realizing that there wasn't even a common um, language yet around what companies would call these teams, like how we're talking about these issues. They had different names in different places. So I didn't see one place that could kind of bring together all of these opportunities. So that's why I started the job board. Um, and then from there, I landed my first contract role as a project manager for um, a partner in for a New York law firm called Eisenberg and Baum. Um, I was with their AI fairness and data privacy practice group. So we were exploring privacy and fairness issues like the NYPD's use of surveillance tech tools. Um, and that led me to understand a lot more about the role of automated decision-making tools within the criminal justice system. Uh, questions around like bail and parole and um, recidivism and what neighborhoods would be policed the most. Um, but we also looked at the impacts of automated decision-making tools in healthcare and saw racial bias and determinations around really life or death issues like um, eligibility for kidney transplants and things like that. So then I really started seeing how these automated decision-making tools are uh, used in these important application processes that really impact people's daily lives around like housing applications and loan applications and job applications. Um, and New York City is finally um, they're putting together details around a law that will regulate the use of automated decision-making tools in hiring, and that is set to go into effect in April. Um, but this, working with this law firm, we also looked at youth online safety, and we looked at questions around, you know, what's the responsibility of a social platform in honoring their terms of service in instances of cyberbullying through third-party apps, um, just really digging into very interesting topics, and that deepened my sense of what exactly is at stake and the human impact underlying these seemingly esoteric questions. Yeah. Um, and then I accepted a contract role with New York University as uh, the assistant producer of A Better Tech, which was a public interest technology convention and career fair. And so then I really started exploring the developing profession, the open roles, the talents in a, a really practical way. So um, and then I finally accepted a permanent position at All Tech is Human in the summer of 2021. And so I've been heading up the programming at All Tech is Human ever since. Fantastic. Fantastic. S similar, sort of similar background. Uh, came, came out of law school wanting to um, be in the music industry. It was the era Amazing. of Napster. It oh, was great. the era of Napster. Same, same, 
different set of questions, obviously, uh, back then. Now it's like so far, so far behind us. But same idea, right? Like, what is this going to mean for copyright? How are we going to do this? Is it is it ethical? You know, how are we going to compensate musicians? Like, who's actually benefiting from this? You know, what's the new consumer behavior? This is the way people are going to listen to music, you know, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Technology, you know, challenges us to think about the nuance, um, even as the speed provides so so much more efficiency. What are we losing in that um, in that quest for better, faster, you know, delivery mechanisms, where exactly. there is our unintended consequences because of the way we design and kind of approach things and and don't think about or don't have the right inclusivity or representation at the decision-making level yet. So fantastic, very fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit more about All Tech is Human, you know, the organization, why it was founded and its mission? Yeah, so All Tech is Human was founded by David Ryan Polgar in uh, 2018. So we're a nonprofit, we're based in Manhattan, but we have a global lens and reach and we are committed to building a stronger responsible technology ecosystem. Um, so that we can tackle thorny tech and society issues and co-create a future uh, that's aligned with the public interest. So um, this ecosystem, this responsible tech community more broadly, we feel very strongly that it is not just for technologists. So we need responsible technologists, yes, but we also need the artists and the designers and the psychologists and philosophers, the attorneys, um, the sociologists, the policymakers. We need everyone. We need all backgrounds involved. And All Tech is Human is intentionally designed as a welcoming and agnostic space. Um, we're uniting individuals working to make positive change from within tech companies, as well as people providing oversight and pressure from the outside. Um, in addition to people who are reimagining tech features completely and who are, you know, envisioning wholly new societal structures. Um, so these can be extremely strange bedfellows and it may look like we're different on the surface, but underneath what connects us is that shared goal of co-creating a better tech future that will benefit society broadly. Um, so we employ what we call a grassroots power model. Um, we're trying to rapidly distribute power and ideas across an open participatory network. So moving away from individual viewpoints and aiming more for a collective understanding, um, taking these strong ideas that often are held at the grassroots level and trying to, to, to bring some access to um, nodes of power so that those ideas can be implemented. Um, and we like to say our method moves at the speed of tech. Um, that's one thing that is, it, it's really challenging when you have you know, tech consideration is a lot slower than, um, than the ways technology is moving so quickly. So um, we try to move quickly and have a low barrier of entry. It's multi-stakeholder and multidisciplinary, and we're really just uniting so many diverse participants with this shared underlying mission of co-creation. Um, and we like to think of ourselves as the connective tissue for all the parts of the responsible tech ecosystem. So um, we're working to create this um, responsible tech ecosystem that's diverse and multidisciplinary. And practically speaking, at All Tech as Human, we have three key work streams that we use to try to accomplish these goals. So the first thing we have is multi-stakeholder convening and community building. 
Um, we hosted 12 in-person events in 2022 and countless online events, summits, mixers, live streams, things like that. Uh, we are now hosting virtual events once a month at least, and we'll be hosting in-person gatherings every month uh, in 2023 at BetaWorks in the Meatpacking District of Manhattan. Um, so we also have additional events in some key hubs around the globe. We have events in DC, San Francisco, and we have our first London events next month. Um, so we try to build community in person and virtually. We have a Slack group of over 5,000 members from over 60 countries. Um, and then we have a second work stream around multidisciplinary education. So with this, we convene open working groups. We gather a couple hundred people across the globe to collaborate on reports on responsible tech issues. Um, so we've done reports on AI and human rights, um, HX or human experience, improving social media, the business case for AI ethics, and we have our flagship resource, the Responsible Tech Guide. And just last month, we released our new report on tech and democracy. And later this year, we're preparing reports on healthy digital spaces, youth tech and well-being, and responsible tech in academia. So we structured this way intentionally in order to share knowledge, but also to open up accessible pathways to people who have historically been excluded from these types of spaces. Um, we're really trying to encourage networking between different groups of people, and it's working. We have quite a few success stories of people who have actually gotten job opportunities from the connections they've made um, just through these open working groups. Also, we have um, a Knowledge Hubs initiative. So we have curated resources around these larger um, subtopics in Responsible Tech, which we have one on trust and safety, um, as well as Responsible AI and Public Interest Tech and some others. So we launched that last month. And we also have an upskilling initiative um, called the Tech Stewardship Practice Program that we offer in collaboration with Engineering Change Lab Canada. So then we have our third work stream, and this is what I really care about. This is our like diversifying the traditional tech pipeline and building that responsible tech talent pipeline. That's my primary focus, and it's what I spend most of my time on. So we have a lot of programs specific to that career space, and I'll, I'll get more specific about some of those and what our priorities are uh, for 2023 a little later. Um, but we have programs and resources around responsible tech careers and talent um, and diversifying the traditional tech pipeline. So if, it, if it's about responsible tech careers, we are doing it or we're making plans to do it soon. Fantastic. Fantastic. We love we love watching what you guys are up to, and um, and I know that we can uh, probably join forces and, and collaborate on on many things, which is needed uh, across the industry. Yeah, lo lots of things to address. So so let's talk about some of those things yeah. that we're starting to address. And you you mentioned this sort of briefly, I think, in um, going over your your background. Um, but I've been newly sort of coming back around to this idea and doing some research into, into the concept of design justice. Um, this is something that Britton Heller talks about, if you all know her um, and her incredible body of work um, and, and others. Um, so I wanted to just bring in a, a quote and then we can sort of dig into it. So um, in doing this research, I came across uh, Sasha Costanza-Chalk from MIT and the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. And they say, design justice is an approach to design that is led by marginalized communities and that aims explicitly to challenge rather than reproduce structural inequalities. 
as we are certainly in the next phase of computing and working on concepts like the metaverse and uh, new Web3 technology, can you help our audience understand what that means as it relates to the way immersive experiences could and should be developed? Um, right. So we're, we're, we've been sort of dancing around this idea of, you know, we get to make choices in how we and how we design. And what do we need to be keeping in mind when we think about design justice so that we are actually serving our our communities, our, our true communities, our glo increasingly global and connected communities. Yeah, that is such a big and important topic. Um, when you think about design justice, it's an effective strategy for preventing these problems with user safety. Um, it's a proactive trust and safety approach. And if we can design new immersive products and features in such a way that it is led by marginalized communities, and it's structured with that user experience in mind, then we will be able to minimize misuse. We'll be able to promote positive uses. Um, we can put safeguards in place and help product teams not only think through issues and anticipate kind of negative use case scenarios, but create welcoming online spaces. Um, you know, then immersive spaces will be in much better shape than our current social platforms. When it comes to minimizing potential harms, I think immersive online spaces have a lot more ground to cover, frankly. Um, you know, current online safety problems will be exponentially worse in the metaverse. Um, because it's an immersive space, that will increase the impact of toxicity, uh, its persistence. The impacts are ongoing and in real time. So it's a more relentless kind of toxicity. And you know, it's interoperable. So that makes content moderation that much more challenging and that toxicity much more intractable. So immersive spaces are all encompassing environments. So that makes that unwanted attention visceral and anything unwanted, especially unwanted touches in the digital world feel real. Um, and as our physical and digital identities become more intertwined, this impact on well-being um, becomes deeper and more severe. This is something we'll be looking into when we put together our report later this year on youth tech and well-being. Um, it's, it's a really important uh, topic that we'll be really trying to, to dig into and, and see what kind of solutions we can come up with. Um, but these it makes it even more important to design immersive online spaces with these considerations already in mind. Um, and then looking too at how the metaverse from a privacy perspective, it will have more personal data, um, you know, relying on high quality cameras and microphones, which can open people up to their devices, potentially tracking their movements and their purchases across virtual worlds in a really comprehensive way. So what we want to think about is if new immersive platforms can address questions, not just of how do we minimize harm, but also how do we empower all types of users and how do we engage users so that they feel valued and like their voices matter? Um, people will want to spend time in those spaces. All types of people will want to spend time in those spaces. Um, and at this point, you know, it's pretty clear people aren't rushing to spend time in the metaverse just yet. So 
it's even more crucial that we get this issue right moving forward because safety will be a determining factor for a significant number of people and whether they want to adopt the metaverse into their daily lives or not. Um, and another point about integrating design justice um, is that this type of preventative and proactive approach to designing immersive spaces will enhance the well-being of trust and safety professionals, which I think taking care of talent is crucial. Um, you know, design justice does some of that heavy lifting on the front end of the trust and safety process. So it protects and benefits your workforce and it helps companies retain talent and prevent burnout. And all of these things are extremely important. And of course, one important way to do that is to make sure that you include a wide array of talent with a diverse set of backgrounds and disciplines and lived experiences and perspectives into that process. So um, I think that brings us to the people pillar of OASIS five P's of user safety. So um, yeah, just developing your policies based on representation, learning and wellness. Um, so yeah, I, I, I resonate very strongly with that pillar. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I also have been um, lately listening to other the other aspect of that, which is not just the preventing of harm, but also, I mean, you, you mentioned this sort of being welcoming to all types of people who may be communicating or creating in ways that look different to what we might think, hope, want, or have somehow decided along the way somehow by some other group. Um, I was listening to um, a session with the Meta Oversight Board last week, and they had some incredible uh, women speakers on. And the first thing they did was ask them to define online trust and safety. And one of the ways that they define online trust and safety is access, right? So it's not just keeping me safe from harm, but letting me express myself in a way that is, you know, appropriate, ethical, you know, but but not being told, you know, or taken down or deplatformed because there's some nebulous policy that actually in is, you know, kind of keeping people on the margins as, as opposed to finding a way to let them participate um, and let others have a choice in, in whether or not they want to engage with that content. It might be edgy. It might be something that's not appropriate for all ages or all people, but we have to still allow people to create their own sort of micro communities or, or places and ways to connect um, as part of online trust and safety. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Okay. So um, so that brings us to the next piece of this, um, which is, I think I'd like to try to size the problem um, when it comes to how we build these more inclusive teams and therefore our products and services. Um, in December, Essence uh, published an article citing research that showed minimal increase in the percentage of Black employees since 2020 despite pledges by more than 200 tech companies following the horrific murder of George Floyd, and that black workers in the tech sector account for just 7% of the workforce in 2021. And that's just one population. So look, the world is uncertain. We are all dealing with the aftermath of a pandemic fueled disruption. And that's a huge global fulcrum around which we are all still spinning and our businesses are continuing to shift. But what are companies going to miss 
by not making DEI a, a business imperative in in your mind and through the lens of the talent pipeline? Yeah, I. So just a quick aside, like it disgusted me to see DEI initiatives scapegoated for political purposes in the Silicon Valley Bank failure recently. Um, it, I feel like a diverse workforce is not just virtue signaling or PR or some kind of charity. It DEI is a business imperative. The people designing, developing, and deploying new technologies should reflect the diversity of those people who will be impacted by those technologies, who will be using the technologies and who those technologies will be used on. So the people who have the most to lose, people who are already marginalized, need to have seats at the table. And I think that is the best way for a company to ensure that all types of users will want to spend time on an immersive platform, for instance. Um, you know, you can have the best graphics and the most intuitive user interface and check all of the boxes. But if it's a toxic, predatory, abusive, unsafe online space, then people won't want to be there. Um, and a diverse workforce puts you in the best position to perceive blind spots. Um, the same types of people can't be making technologies and and perceiving, uh, you know, a, a, a whole perspective on, on what the problems could be. Um, so including more backgrounds and disciplines and people um, is a way to mitigate that. And, and you don't know what you don't know. So including more people at the table is so crucial and also listening to them. So incorporating their feedback and understanding that perspectives from the margins are invaluable and should be centered in the discussion. Uh, and there's no substitute or shortcut. Hire, pay, and listen to a diverse workforce. And when it comes to trust and safety professionals, a diversity of backgrounds and expertise in subject areas provides the capacity for a broader understanding of what the many potential contexts um, for various pieces of content or behavior uh, should be understood. So to more thoroughly consider the context of an incident. Um, and when conducting investigations or attempting to determine the context of some content, the more varied and diverse the talent pool that's conducting the investigation, the more likely that the correct context can be determined. So incorporating an inclusive array of voices and experiences means it's more likely that more harms can be anticipated and prevented. Um, and there's just no substitute for a diverse workforce. You can't simulate or approximate that. You just have to include more people at the table. Um, and thinking through also, there's a talent side to this. And at All Tech is Human, we intentionally try to incorporate um, all kinds of voices um, and, and reach out to individuals in spaces where they normally would not necessarily even, even know what the options are for how they can get involved in the tech industry and how their voice um, can be centered and why it's important. So that concept of if you can see it, you can be it. Uh, just one quick anecdote, we have a lot of these, but one of our community members um, is a woman named Chanel Cornette. She's a black woman and she discovered the whole field of trust and safety through our responsible tech guide, um, coming in with a law background and, and not knowing what all the opportunities were or, or where her voice could even be most effectively applied. So, um, and she's now trust and safety counsel at Zoom. Um, and, you know, when, when technologies that impact billions of people are made by a narrow sliver of society, it causes a serious 
misalignment of values um, and a disregard of potential impacts. And that's why Alltech is human tries to employ this highly participatory model. So we align our tech future with the public interest by getting more of the public involved and creating a conducive environment for multi-stakeholder collaboration. And if anyone needs help knowing who to hire, um, please come to me, hit up Alltech as Human. We will point you in the right direction. That's fantastic. Okay, good. So now tell us a little bit more um, about the job board and um, because this is a great way to start creating solutions, right? So we we have some problems, we know they're, they're significant, um, and they're societal and, and their business. And, you know, here we are, you know, admiring things and, and looking at, at how, how challenging they are, but there are solutions out there. There are, you know, there's Oasis, there's you guys, we, there are a number of organizations trying to approach all of these challenges from, from different perspectives. So, so tell us a little bit more about the job board and, and what you're going to be focused on this year. Yeah, so we have a wide variety of resources, but the foundation is this curated responsible tech job board. So we feature roles that are focused on reducing the harms of technology, diversifying the tech pipeline, and ensuring that tech is aligned with the public interest. Um, but practically speaking, this means we include roles in ethical or responsible AI. So typically within big tech companies and a growing number of other industries as well, plus startups and global consultancies. Um, Another large part of the job board is online safety and trust and safety roles. So we have a lot of social media companies, um, including startups, uh, have roles on the board. We also include tech policy roles. So a lot of data privacy and digital governance. And this um, is for people with a law background or a policy background. We have civic tech and public interest technology roles, which are typically tech roles within government and also many social impact opportunities with nonprofits and think tanks and philanthropic organizations. And then finally, we have accessible and human-centered design roles. So product, user experience design, UX research. Um, so the job board covers a lot of ground. Uh, we have hundreds of jobs, internships, and fellowships in all of these various subfields. Um, but we do have, we keep it a simple air table that can be filtered for anything you are looking for. Um, and we, we try to keep this updated daily. Um, and in tandem with the Responsible Tech job board, we've launched a responsible tech talent matchmaking service. So we're connecting hiring managers with responsible tech talent from within the all tech is human community into some of these pretty hard to place roles that lend themselves to multidisciplinary backgrounds. Um, so we have a responsible tech talent pool and we've opened that up to all tech is human community members, people who are either actively seeking or passively open to new opportunities. And uh, today we have um, over a thousand people in that talent pool, and we have just begun to put that out to our community. So that will grow. Um, and my number one priority this year is matching all tech as human talent with responsible tech roles. Um, so I also head up a few other initiatives at all tech as human. We have a mentorship program, which is a really important way for, you know, to, for us to focus on career development for individuals who are in a, a nascent field. And uh, often it's hard to pinpoint who is far enough ahead of them that they can really learn something from them. And um, so we we have 275 participants in this cohort and a new cohort is starting up later this spring. 
We also have a university network, which um, brings together students who are interested in responsible technology as a movement and as a profession. Um, and we connect those individuals with professors, researchers, um, people who are heading up uh, research initiatives based on responsible tech topics. Um, and this is really just picking up steam in academia. It's you know still uh, such a new field that there aren't a lot of degree programs focused on this. And we actually, uh, the university network um, in its previous iteration as a university ambassadors program focused more on students. Um, we did uh, put together a resource around what academic programs already exist. Um, and, and I foresee that growing a lot as universities are responding to the need for, uh, you know, preparing talent for these types of roles. So we also have career fairs and a university summits. So um, in the past, I've organized two national virtual public interest technology career fairs. So one last spring with Stanford, Pepperdine, and University of Washington, and one in the fall of 2021 with New York University, A Better Tech. Um, and both of those were through New America's public interest tech university network. Um, so we have a lot of experience with that and we'll be having more career fairs, both for students um, as well as for career changers. And a lot of trust and safety folks are career changers looking um, to put the skills that they already have into a new space. Um, so another big part of the university network is providing support for members of underrepresented groups. Um, and, and this is really a part that we are trying to develop and, and intentionally focus on, um, especially with the university network, looking to community colleges, looking to upskilling initiatives that aren't necessarily you know, university-based. Um, so really just trying to open up a space for anyone who's trying to educate themselves within academia or outside of it to try to get um, you know, career development opportunities and understanding how they get to have a, a, a profession you know, as uh, a responsible tech professional. So we have a lot going on and a lot of resources for people who are trying to get involved either on the hiring side or the talent side. So um, definitely browse alltechishuman.org and reach out to me and find out you know, how you can get involved and um, how you can get plugged into our programs and events. Fantastic. So many opportunities for people. We don't know when you're going to sleep. So um, <laughs> just like make sure to, to work. We'll have to tell David, make sure you we're, have time to <laughs> sleep. I know, we're, um, oh, goodness. And he's he he has more going on than me. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're hiring a couple more people very soon. And I'm so excited because oh, good. we need it. We're buried. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, listen, there's just, you know, this is the, this is the work of our time. So, you know, yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear it and and it's fantastic to see uh to see this the success. And so, let's let's end kind of on that note um when thinking about how much work there is to be done and and wishing there was more time to do it and um just feeling that pressure of um you know, wanting to make progress and and address so many of these uh, uh, potential harms. What gives you hope for the for the future? Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's not. So it's it's the hunger of the community. It, it's not just that these issues are super pressing, which they are, but it's that there are so many people who want to tackle these issues and who just need pointed in the right direction to do it. Um, so what gives me hope for our collective future is the massive amount of talent. Um, people who care deeply about creating a responsible tech future. Um, and the all tech is human community is 
bursting at the seams. Um, and a lot of that is driven by career development programming and networking opportunities. We have a really hard time keeping our audience uh, and our community satiated. So we can't book events fast enough. That's why we um, we signed a lease with Betaworks to have monthly events because uh, you know we have 150, 200 person capacity there and, and we'll have wait lists of a couple hundred people for every event that we book. So, um, you know, and then looking at our mentorship program, our last cohort, we had over 540 applicants for 275 spots. You know, there's just so much hunger for this and that next generation of talent and the current emerging workforce cares about these issues. Um, and and doing that professionally, devoting their careers and their lives to doing these things. So that gives me hope that we're going to move the needle in a significant way. Um, and talent will, you know, demand these types of roles and these types of programs at the university level. Um, so I also think there's a mainstreaming of tech consideration that's kind of happening and accelerating right now um, with chat GPT kind of creating a broad awareness among a mass audience that tech is moving really quickly and we need to be prepared. Uh, I think the John Oliver segment moved the needle as much as anything, uh, judging from just random family and friends that are asking me about AI afterwards. Um, but I think the privatization of Twitter also inspired a lot of critical analysis around, you know, what makes a good social platform from people who might have been reflexively satisfied with an imperfect platform previously. Um, and then I even think the failure of Silicon Valley Bank highlights this incredible impact of social media platforms on issues of massive societal importance. Um, you know, seeing how social media impacts democracy. Um, I think the general population is getting introduced to these issues much more broadly, and that will drive more public support for tech consideration and responsible technology. So. Um, and when it comes to having hope for our collective future, All Tech is Human actually released a whole report on our collective vision for a better tech future um, late last year. So we interviewed dozens of responsible tech leaders and practitioners about what a better tech future would look like and what people are optimistic about. Um, so that's on our website and you can download it. And it, it has all kinds of visions of, of you know what gives us hope and what a better tech future could look like. Awesome. Yes. People are voting, buying, and working according to their values. Exactly. And especially, especially the, yo the younger generation. So um, we have the data. We we know this is what what people want. They're thoughtful. They're informed, and um, and they're talented. So so kudos to you guys uh, for building that community, and we're so excited to watch uh, what you accomplished this year. We look forward to having you back at some point to to update us on some of these initiatives and maybe dig into you know some of the more specific um, areas that that hopefully we'll start to see some progress on you know that um, you know with things like the user safety standards and other tools that are out there to really help people fast track and build uh, capabilities that are in line with these values. So I'm hopeful yeah. too in that respect because I do see a lot of this good work um, becoming more available and accessible to people as we um, as we all build our future together. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's great to talk to you about all of these and uh, these initiatives, and it's also just wonderful to hear what Oasis is up to and and um, you know the opportunities that you're providing people as well. 
Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks so much for being here. We'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Erica. For more information on how you can help build ethical and positive online experiences for both users and brands, download the Oasis User Safety Standards on our website at www.oasisconsortium.com.